Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Ladies and gentlemen, it's a distinct pleasure to just welcome back our speaker today. He's not a stranger to most of us. He's been a friend of the house for many years. Um, Most of you, well, most of us would know him and recognize him as the founder and chief executive of Neighbor. Now, Neighbor used to be Cinnamon Network. A lot of you know about Cinnamon Network, um, but he's now Neighbor. It's a charity Uh, spearheaded by a speaker that empowers the local church to serve our communities and transform our communities through the love of God as we serve God. Um, Things like like, uh, our Christmas lunch on Jesus, for example, is part of the work of uh, the Cinema Network, which is now Neighbor. And as I said in the morning service, that Neighbor is now in 20 countries all over the world. Just empowering. Go on, let's appreciate God. Let's appreciate God. Just empowering the local church to serve its various communities. And that's the heart of our speaker. Um, He's a man of many, many gifts. He's a prolific writer. I found out this morning that he has written 16 books. And I was asking him how he did that. But I'm sure he'll talk about it. Um, he's a business coach. He's also a writing coach amongst many things that he does. But it gives me absolute pleasure to welcome our dear friend as he comes to just speak the word of God this afternoon. Please welcome Matt Bird as he comes. Good morning, Jesus House. Great to be with you, everybody in the house, everybody online, you're very welcome. Thank you, Doc. Thank you, Pastor Agu, for your friendship and that of your families and this amazing family. I always feel like I'm at home here. And uh, I snuck in and listened to Pastor Badge preach on Good Friday, and it was incredible. So it's so good to be with you. Uh, I'd like to tell a story, if that's okay, if you're all sitting comfortably. And then I'll read something from the Bible and I'll say a few things and we'll pray. Sound good? Is that a deal? Who wants to be prayed for? Yeah, I thought so. Why are the rest of you here then? (laughs) No, it's really good to be together. I began following Jesus, gosh. Well, let's just leave it at about 30 years ago, shall we? I know I don't look old enough. And you're sat there, I know, and you think, that's just not possible, Matt. But it was 30 years. I I, I was very young. (laughs) And I felt uh, a decade into my journey with Jesus, I really felt him challenge me to deprivatize my faith. Now, you sometimes know it's God speaking when you haven't got a clue what it is he said, even though you know it's him. I thought, how on earth do I deprivatize my faith? What's it all about? One of the first things I did, and you're welcome to laugh at me, I won't take it personally. One of the first things I did, I joined a political party. I did say you could laugh at me. (laughs) It was a little bit like joining the gym. 
Is anybody out there join the gym? You've signed the membership form. You've paid your subs. You've you've got your membership card in your in your purse or your wallet, and and that's where it stays. And, and you never go to the gym. Ever have anybody? Well, it was a little bit like that for me and joining a political party. But six months in, I thought I've got to do something about this. So I turned up one Saturday morning and volunteered for my local political group. And they were all sat round tables, uh, folding bits of paper and putting them in envelopes. I thought, that can't be too difficult. I didn't know anybody in the room, so I started chatting to people, getting to know people. And after 15 minutes, somebody came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Matt, could we have a quiet word? I thought, my goodness, have I been folding the paper wrong or something? And they took me to one side and they said, "Uh, we have a local election coming up in our London borough in a few months' time. And uh, one of the wards where we need a representative, uh, it's an unwinnable seat, and so nobody wants to run in the seat because they're going to lose. They said, would you be our loser? No, sorry, volunteer. (laughs) Would you be our volunteer? Because it looks really bad if the ballot paper goes out to the community and, and we don't have a representative. So could you be our paper candidate, they called it, candidate, paper candidate. I said, yeah, sure, I can do that. So a few months later, I'd done a bit of knocking on doors. I'd been to a few public meetings, and you know, I'd, I'd, I'd made a good effort. Uh, and that evening, I was out with a friend. Well, he calls himself a friend. I'm not so sure. And uh, he said to me, Matt, he said, why don't we go down the town hall tonight and see how badly you lost? So we left our Coca-Cola uh, in the pub, and, uh, and uh, you didn't laugh at that, did you? Um, you can laugh at that one. That was one of my jokes. It's one of my better jokes. Okay, I can tell how it's going to go this morning. Um, and uh, we went down to the town hall. Long story short, at 2 a.m. in the morning, the chief exec of the London Borough stood at the podium, held the microphone, and he announced the results. I'd won. Uh, no credit to me. But I began my political journey. I began trying to work out what it meant to deprivatize my faith, to take that which was profoundly personal and transformational and work out what it meant out there. How did this powerful faith outwork itself in community and in society? And I've become convinced, you see, that a privatized faith, one that's just about me and Jesus and getting into heaven when I die, that kind of faith is impotent powerless to change the world. It's only a deprivatized faith that's taken from this personal space and outworked in public space that actually has the potential and the power to transform communities and transform society. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, they take it out and they put it on a stand so it illuminates and brings light to the whole room. In the same way, let your faith so shine before men and women that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our faith is like a city on a hill. You can't miss a city on a hill. It's obvious. Our faith is like a light. Because in a dark place, 
even a small light shines and pierces the darkness. There is nothing about our faith that is meant to be hidden under a bowl. It's like a light, no matter how small or big, that's put on a stand so it illuminates and brings light to the whole room. So that people may see the good that we do that points to our Father in heaven. This is a powerful faith. A deprivatized faith is powerful to change the world. And that's what I want to look at, look at this morning. And I could take any one of a number of uh, stories from the New Testament. But I'm going to take one. And I'm going to pull out of that a way of reading the Bible that I really want you to encourage you to adopt and use. I'm going to turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, uh, verses 11 to 19. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. When we read the Bible, we often are looking for spiritual truth, aren't we? And there's a spiritual truth that faith, faith gains us the forgiveness of sins. But I want to draw out three other powerful dynamics and three other lenses through which I would encourage you to do all your Bible reading. The first is this, that a gospel of the kingdom of God actually brings about social inclusion. When Jesus met these lepers, I mean, the reason he met them first was because these lepers were, when they were diagnosed with leprosy, the priests declared them unclean. And they were forced from their homes, and they were forced to live in a ghetto outside the village. So as Jesus approached the village, the first people he came to were the lepers. And if you had leprosy, you weren't allowed to touch anybody else or approach anybody else. So the lepers cried out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They shouted to get his attention. And he came to them and said, go to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So by the time they got to the priest, he saw their leprosy had gone. They were cleansed of their leprosy. They were healed. This meant they were free. Now, The question is, what happened to the other nine? I have a theory. I don't know if any of you travel. I travel quite a lot. And sometimes it's just for a few days. Sometimes it's for a couple of weeks. 
But one of the beautiful things I like about travelling is the homecoming. I've got three children. Reuben, who's now 13, Matilda, who's 15, and Joseph, who's 17. And I love it, that moment, my key goes in the front door and it opens. And the kids shout, Dad's home! And the first person there is Reuben. And uh, he's just, he's full of energy. And he runs down the corridor and he launches himself into the air. I said, Dad, it's great you're home. Then my daughter runs along the corridor, she's 15, and she just puts her arms around me and snuggles into my tummy and says, Dad, it's great to see you. And there's 17-year-old Joseph. He's got a bit of a swagger. Dad, a little knock of the shoulder. Great to see you, Dad. Welcome home. But it's beautiful, isn't it, a homecoming? Whether from a day at work or a, a trip away. The Bible doesn't tell us how long these ten lepers were living in that ghetto. I suspect it was more than a few days or a couple of weeks. I think it may be months or possibly even years. I think I know where the other nine lepers went when they were cleansed. Don't you? I think they ran home as fast as they could. And they hugged their kids and hugged their wives. What a beautiful picture. That's why only one came back to thank Jesus, I believe. You see, when we encounter Jesus, we encounter social inclusion. Those people who feel far off and distant are brought into the family of God. We're adopted as sons and daughters. The Bible says that God puts the lonely in families. This is at the heart and the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was sat on a bus one November time and I started a conversation with the elderly lady sat next to me. And do you know what? I, I regret the question I asked her. I said, are you looking forward to Christmas? Her head sank and she said no. The reason is that half a million elderly people every year spend Christmas Day alone. Alone. All alone in the world on what is one of the most important days for the church. Can you imagine it? But I tell you what, it isn't just elderly people who feel all alone in the world. You could be sat here this morning in this amazing church and you come every week and sit there and you might feel all alone. You can be married and feel all alone. But their families who they'd left behind were also in a place of destitution. Economic hardship and poverty in the extreme. But you see, when Jesus healed the lepers... Any healing of Jesus in the New Testament, it was also an act of economic empowerment. Not get rich quick, economic empowerment. Jesus gave people the ability to work again. Do you remember the story of Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 going through the gate called Beautiful to the temple? And there was a beggar that was there every day. 
And Peter said to him, gold or silver we haven't got. But what we give you, we, we give you what we have, be healed in Jesus' name. And the beggar was healed, he jumped to his feet. He'd been lame his entire life. He jumped to his feet and danced and praised God. It was incredible. This was good news. Because now, he didn't need to beg for a living. He didn't need to face the indignity of living off of what other people fancied giving him that day. Now, he could work. And those ten lepers that were cleansed by Jesus, now they didn't need to live in the ghetto on the scraps left on the rubbish dump outside the village. Now, they could go to work. They could plant in their fields. They could produce in their workshops. They could go to market and sell their goods. Now, they could earn a living. Enough for themselves, enough for their families, enough to be generous to others. But they had more than just money. I actually went through a period in my life of six months where I had no work. I don't know if anybody here has ever experienced worklessness. Yes, the money is a challenge, isn't it? But what it does to your morale and your dignity is crushing. What I found most difficult was day after day waking up without a reason to get out of bed. It's crushing. So when Jesus healed these lepers, he gave them the ability to work and he gave them their dignity back. Neighbour, as Doc said, we're passionate about helping local churches impact their communities. And last year, as we began to emerge from the pandemic, uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but God gave us this thing to say, actually, if an entrepreneur is someone who takes risks to create something out of nothing, that makes God the great entrepreneur, doesn't it? He took a massive risk in creating something out of nothing and giving us the mandate to steward and manage the earth. That's a bit of a risk. Sometimes it's paid off for him. Sometimes it hasn't. If God is the great entrepreneur and we're created in his likeness, in his image, we are also entrepreneurs. We, all of us, carry a spirit of enterprise. So Neighbour created the Enterprise Course as something that local churches can run to help people in their communities facing economic hardship to start a small business. Because do you know what? I mean, no amount of government help or charities' benevolence actually solves poverty. You know, I love food banks and food parcels and all that stuff. Immediate relief. But it solves nothing. It doesn't solve poverty. It provides immediate relief. The only thing that permanently lifts people out of poverty is a job or an enterprise, or a business. And I believe that is God's strategy for ending poverty. Some charities say, oh, we exist to end poverty. They'll never end poverty. Only business can end poverty, because business creates jobs. Business provides jobs to give people dignity. Dignity. It creates social mobility. We, provide, we create accessible jobs for people who face challenges to employment. Business is one of the most, well, I think it is the most powerful tool for ending poverty. 
And so neighbour runs this, and Jesus' house is starting in September, so I've been told. Well, you are now anyway. Uh, and uh, running it to help people in the church or in the community who are facing economic hardship to create a lasting solution to hardship for themselves. And we should never despise small things. You know, there are some big uh, companies in the Silicon Valley in California, you know, that started in garden sheds and garages, employing hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Just imagine what might start from a small business that this church enables and helps people to get going with. Just imagine it. Just imagine it. You see, Jesus not only socially includes people who feel all alone in the world, but he economically empowers them. Not get rich quick, just, just, just the ability to work and provide. Enough to be generous and give. Business is transformational. If you're in business in this church... The purpose of you being in business is not to be able to write the biggest checks. The purpose of you being in business is to create jobs for others that end poverty. Particularly to help people who find it difficult to find employment. Anyway, I could go on, but I won't. So firstly, social inclusion. Secondly, economic empowerment. The third dimension, and, and as I said at the beginning, I'd like to encourage you to use this fourfold matrix as a way of reading the Bible. Yes, we always read the Bible with a spiritual lens on. But as you read the Bible, look for where, where God's purpose is bringing about social inclusion. Look for where God's purpose is bringing about economic empowerment. But the fourth dimension, the third one I want to talk about today, is political justice. I mean, just think about it for a moment. You come to church on a Sunday, and one of the pastors says... Oh, you've got a disease. You can't come to church anymore. In fact, leave your family, leave your home. Uh, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a ghetto over the road, uh, and you can, you can live there. Ima- that's the equivalent. The priests declared, people, declared that people had leprosy and forced them from their homes to live in a ghetto. What sort of society diagnoses people with an illness and then separates them from their families, separates them from their communities, forces them to live begging for a living? It's inhumane! There were so many aspects to society that Jesus challenged. His life was spent challenging injustice. Now, just a little sidestep for a moment. Politics. Politics, politics I simply define as the way we choose to live together. That's what politics is. And if our faith has nothing to say about politics and the way we choose to live together, it frankly has nothing to say. It's just religion. But I believe that faith, I believe that the life of following Jesus has everything to say about the politics around us. It has everything to say about the system, about how we choose to live together. So when Jesus came across uh, religious people saying, oh, sorry, it's a Sabbath, you can't heal today. What absolute nonsense. You can fill in the blanks. I I remember I'm in a church, not in a pub. I'm sorry. Uh, You fill in the blanks. 
What nonsense. What nonsense. Jesus said, but, but, but Sabbath was created for men and women. Men and women were not created for Sabbath. Of course you can heal on a Sabbath. It's nonsense. And Jesus confronted the religious politics of his day. Jesus saw a group of men about to stone a woman caught in adultery. Men stoning a woman caught in adultery. I mean, if she was caught in adultery, I want to know what happened to the man. He slipped out the back door while they took the woman out of the front door to stone her to death. What absolute, what sort of society would allow that to become normative? It's wrong. So much of what Jesus said in his life was challenging these political injustices. And any one of us who is a follower of Jesus has an opinion and a perspective about how community works, how society works. It's not enough for us to stand on the outside and throw stones at politicians telling telling them what a bad job they're doing. Actually, we need godly men and women to feel the call of Jesus on their lives to get involved in politics, to get on the inside. Sometimes, all you need to do is turn up. Sometimes. You just need to turn up on a Saturday morning and say, can I help? You never know what might happen, what God might do to position you and place you to influence, to help make decisions for justice, for all people. You see, this is a deprivatized faith. It's powerful. To bring about change and transformation. Powerful. But a privatised faith. That's all about me and Jesus. That lives in the realm of the spiritual but nothing else. That only has an eye on where I'm going when I die. Is impotent. And powerless. To change the world. That's why some of the places in the world that have the highest levels of church attendance can be some of the places with the highest levels of gun crime, of domestic violence, of government corruption. Because religion doesn't change anything. But a deprivatized faith, a faith like Jesus had, it challenges political injustice. It economically empowers those facing poverty. It socially includes everybody, whatever their colour, whatever their age, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their rev, whatever, whatever. It's the nature of the family of God. Oh yes, and of course, there are lots of spiritual truths as well. But these things sit alongside each other in an understanding of the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is revolutionary. It's not some sanitised version of Christianity that all it requires of is you of you is to turn up at the country club on a Sunday, sorry, the church on a Sunday morning. You know, some churches it feels like you're part of a private members club. And you put your money in the offering as long as you get good teaching and good children's work. And, but if you don't, you'll withdraw. And then you'll start looking around. Your eyes will wander and think, where else can I go? That's, that's country club Christianity. That's private members club Christianity. We're not here for ourselves. We're here on a mission. 
We're leading a revolution. We're leading a revolution, the Jesus revolution. It is radical. It is impactful. It is transformational, like nothing you could ever dream or imagine of. It's good news. And now, if I may, I'd love to pray with you. Would that be okay? Could you stand? There's three. If you all stand, there we go. You can stretch your legs now. Give them a shake. Three groups of people I'd love to pray for this morning, if that would be okay. I think we said at the beginning, didn't we, that, that we'd pray together. So, the first group of people I'd love to pray for, I want to pray for people who feel called to business. You may already have a business up and running. I want to pray for you. You may have a business that is actually, frankly, at the moment, struggling. You've never quite recovered your business following COVID. And there's some people here today thinking, well, actually, I've never really thought about business that way. I'd always thought I wanted to start a business, but I thought being a pastor is more holy, where I could make a greater difference in the world. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for people who are running a business. I want to pray God's favour on your business. I want your business to grow so you can create more jobs to include more people, to lift more people out of poverty. Because you are the poverty fighters. I want to pray for people who are struggling in their business. Did you know Jesus is a business turnaround expert? If your business is struggling, Jesus is for you. Jesus finished a little sermon by a lake one day and... uh, there was a little business there. It's called Simon & Co., or at least that's how I imagine it. Simon was a fisherman. Been out fishing all night with his, with his team. Hadn't caught anything. Jesus says, Jesus the carpenter, get the irony of it. Jesus the carpenter says to the fisherman, go and put your nets out over there. They must have thought, who is this joker? What does a carpenter know about fishing? But they didn't have anything to lose. They caught nothing. They were going to starve. How could they provide for their families? So they thought, we'd give it a go. They threw the nets out in that part of the lake. And the nets nearly burst. They had to enter into some quick joint ventures with some other small businesses on the lake. So they bought their boats. And they worked in partnership together. And they bought in the catch. Jesus is a business turnaround expert. Those of you who are thinking, I'd like to start a business. My goodness me. You've got the greatest role model the great entrepreneur who has put the spirit of enterprise in you. And maybe you can't wait till September. Maybe you just need to start a business now. There's the amazing uh, greenhouse community that Pastor Scholler is running, helping start social enterprises. Whether it's a business enterprise or a social enterprise, I want to pray for you that God will release the spirit of enterprise in you. So I want to pray for business people. Second group of people I want to pray for I want to pray for people who this morning have been stood there and thinking, or sat there, thinking, oh my goodness, I never thought about politics like that. I've thrown lots of stones at politicians, but uh, I never thought that that frustration I was feeling was actually God birthing a calling in my life. Because, you know, when we get angry about things, it normally means that God wants us to do something about it. So it's time to channel the energy to turn up, to join a political party, most of them are okay. One or two of them. But you know, I don't care which party it is. Join one. Get involved. Turn up on a Saturday morning. You never know what doors God may open for you. If you feel that nudge of the Holy Spirit, that, oh my goodness, I think God's saying something to me. I want to pray for you. Because we need more godly men and women in politics, don't we? And the third group of people I want to pray for 
I want to pray for people who feel all alone in the world. All alone in the world. You've been struggling. You don't know how you're going to get through the day, let alone tomorrow. You're desperate. You're lonely. You want... You feel like you are the only, un, the only person in the world that understands you. And you, you need help. If you're in a marriage and you feel all alone, don't wait, don't leave it, don't put it off. Get help today. Get help today. You don't need to face this alone. You don't need to face this alone. I want to pray for you if you feel alone in your marriage, in your workplace, in this church. Big crowds can be lonely places. Parties can be lonely places. I want to pray for you. So as the guys play, can I just invite you to come? If you feel called to business, feel called to politics, if you feel all alone in the world, come now. I want to pray for you. Don't dilly-dally. Just be a simple prayer. I want to encourage you, give you some suggestions. Come now. Allow Jesus, allow Jesus to do some stuff in you today. sat down, stand up. You might be stood up, you might want to kneel down. But just move your position, move your posture in response to God. Let him know, not just in your heart, but let him know with your body that you've heard him today and you need him and you want him. Jesus, we thank you that this faith is transformational. It is radical. It is a revolution. And I want to pray for those people today who feel all alone in the world. Jesus, I pray. Here, online, I pray right now, Jesus, you'll reach out your arms of love. That you'll fill, fill people with a warmth and an assurance that they're never alone. With you in their lives, they're never alone. You're always there. You are the alongside God. You are the forever God, the Alpha, the Omega. You aren't going anywhere. You're here with us. And I pray for those people who feel all alone, that they have a tangible experience of your love in this moment. That your Holy Spirit will rush into their lives and fill them with a 
with a reassurance that they're loved and never alone. Come, Holy Spirit. And if that's you today, can I just say one thing, practical thing? Do not leave this room without telling somebody. Just take somebody by the arm. Just say, God spoke to me today. I feel all alone in the world and I, I, I need to talk to you. If you feel alone in your marriage, there are people in the church who can help you. Don't leave here today without telling one person that you need some help because you feel alone. Please, do have one conversation. Father, I want to pray for those people who feel called to politics. Wow. You've no idea how you're going to get there. You've no idea really what next steps are apart from joining a party but this is the adventure God always calls people on a journey to a destination and they have no idea how they get what he did to Abraham he said pack everything up let's go no idea how he's going to get there no idea at all but he went that's faith that's dependency on God so I want to pray for you today if you feel that Jesus has called you to politics all you have to do is take one step join a party then take another step then take another step and I pray that the Holy Spirit will enter your life now and make you like oaks of righteousness that you will never compromise that you will always stand up for the unheard for the small voice for the marginalised voice for the marginalised people that you will seek a just community, a just society, a just nation, a just world. I pray that God will open doors for you to places and people and policy that you never thought you would have. I look forward to seeing you in Parliament sometime. And I want to pray for business people, the real poverty fighters, the people that God is positioning to end poverty. I pray that God will pour opportunities into your business. You may have a small business, a medium-sized business, a big business. I just want to pray that that there will be a Holy Spirit anointing and that there will be growth. Not so you can have a bigger and better car, although that's nice sometimes. But I pray for growth so that you might be able to create more jobs for more people. Take that glass ceiling off. Lift the lid off. There is no ceiling. Build a business that can create jobs and end poverty permanently in people's lives. I want to pray for you if you feel your business is just struggling. Jesus, I pray that you will help turn around these businesses. The great carpenter, tell us where to go. Tell us where to find our clients and our customers. Lead us in the way we should go. And those of us who are thinking, I have no idea what business I'm going to start, but Matt, I'm going to start a business. I want to pray that the spirit of enterprise will be released in your life. That God will give you ideas. That God will give you insights. That God will give you value propositions. He will give you understanding, marketing strategies, sales strategies, growth strategies. And maybe the little 
business that you start in your garden shed or in your garage or your kitchen table or at the altar this morning will help end poverty in your life and in the life of other people. That's what I pray. A release of the spirit of enterprise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.